Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are back together for the first time in a long time. The Three Musketeers. And it feels so good. And we are here to talk about some other seafood dishes or seafood species that you may not know too much about. Because we didn't. Because we didn't. And now (laughs) you'll know a little bit more about them. We found a website called tasteatlas.com. Com, and they have a list of the 100 most, what they claim to be the 100 most popular seafoods in the world. We are looking at it as merely a list of 100 different types of seafood that is out there and is popular in certain parts of the world. So we went through and we picked out 10 specific things off this list that we found interesting that we had either had never heard of or had never tried or would thought it'd be fun to talk about. So just another fun, quick episode with the three of us talking about stuff that we've never tried and showing our ignorance in the seafood industry. So uh, before we get into that, I want to remind everybody, as I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So every time a new episode comes out, it will be automatically downloaded onto your device. Follow us on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. And if you want to contact us for any reason, do you have topic suggestions? Do you want to be a guest? Would you like to sponsor? Have you tried any of these seafood dishes? Yeah. You can do all of that on our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the show on a regular basis, then we would love for you to leave a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, especially if you like this format of episodes, because if you enjoy this, then we'll try to do more episodes like this. Yeah, that's right. Please let us know. Take advantage of all those ways to get in contact with us. Please enjoy this conversation that we had and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right. So this is something that we haven't done in a while. This is a fun one. See if we remember how to do this. When was the last time we had all three of us in the room? And and we didn't have any guests. I think that it's been six, seven months at least. (laughs) Feels like it. Uh, Anyway, today we are doing an episode with just the three of us where we just kind of get to chat about some fun stuff because every once in a while we enjoy doing this and people enjoy listening to it. So uh, what we're going to do today. So what happened was I was trying to find some stats about consumed species in 2022, like we did last year. I couldn't find it anywhere. Probably just not out yet because it's still 2022. But what I did find was an article on a website called tasteatlas.com, and it's titled 100 Most Popular Seafoods in the World. And I couldn't figure out, and Maddie was trying to help me with this too, we couldn't figure out if it was like a ranking of like the top, like because it counts down from 100 to 1, but... We were a little skeptical about the where they got that ranking, yeah, and and where this data comes from, and so we're kind of looking at it as a list of a hundred popular seafoods globally, and so what we not necessarily like the top most popular, but just popular in general. Yeah, and we were going through this, and there were some that we had never heard of or never seen, and then others that we just kind of were didn't know too much about, and so we decided to pick ten. And I picked 10. You guys don't know which 10 I picked. It's a surprise. But um, we figured we'd do another list episode where we look at 10 different seafoods that you may not know about. Know about. 
So let's get into it. But well, first we get into it. How's it? How's it going, guys? I feel like I haven't seen you. I haven't seen Maddie in like I know forever. in like a month. What What's new? Let's update the people. What's going well, on? Well, we had goal. We had the goal conference about three weeks ago at this point, which was super successful in Seattle, and I'm sure I met a bunch of Aquademia listeners there. So it was great to meet you guys. And it was just a really fun event. Great to be back in person. And Seattle was super fun. Well, and you stayed afterwards. Yes. And then I stayed for like a week after in Seattle, relaxed, rejuvenated. (laughs) And now I'm back. And then you were sick. And then I was sick, (laughs) which is, you can probably hear it in my voice still. It's the change of seasons, you know. My Mm -hmm. kids have been sick for the last few days too, so. Justin, what's going on with you? Bees okay? Yeah, I think so. They're still buzzing. <laughs> they're, get, they're getting ready for winter, so I, uh, I, you know, I have my checklist, my winter checklist, get them ready. Which, in any beekeeper listeners out there, which probably isn't too many, but if you're out there and you live in the Northeast, you're doing the same thing. At least you better be. <laughs> you're gonna lose your bees. Well, that's actually a really good transition, uh, talking about bugs, because the first species that we're gonna look at on this list, and again. If you, you know, we may say something on this list that you're like, how is it that people don't know about this? This is super popular. But where we are, we may have never heard of it or we don't know much about it. So if we don't know much about it, I'm sure there's other people who also don't know much about these species. So um, please don't be insulted if I highlight a species that you are very familiar (laughs) with. Uh, And I also want to do another disclaimer that I am terrible at at pronouncing names. And this is going to be a tough episode we can tag team it <laughs> our audience already knows this about each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. We'll, we'll have the list linked in the description so you can read it and view it in its entirety and make fun of sean for how he pronounces yeah go things. for it and uh you know i could have just copied and pasted it into like google translate and listen to how they pronounce it but we're gonna we're gonna keep it fun, it's part of the fun. you're also giving google a lot of credit you that's know, true get it right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So what I'm going to do is, again, this is from tasteatlas.com, 100 most popular seafoods in the world. And I'm going to introduce the species and uh, just kind of read their short little description that they have. And then we'll see what you guys think about it. How's that sound? So the first one that we're looking at is uh, Morton Bay Bug, number 78. It's a type of slipper lobster. And it just does. it's not the most appetizing looking thing in my Yeah, mind. it looks pretty funky. Uh, it says, found off the coast of northern Australia, Morton Bay bug belongs to the Thenus species of slipper lobsters uh, and encompasses reef bug, officially known as the Thenus australiensis, and mud bug, officially named something else. I don't know. These, these names. Latin are, names. The Latin names are, yeah. Someone else can read them. Meat that is found in the tail can withstand poaching, steaming, barbecuing, deep frying, and grilling, and is characterized by its firm texture and medium to strong flavor. The slipper lobster can be prepared whole and enjoyed as the main course but the meat is easily incorporated into other dishes what would you eat that justin what do you think yep oh my gosh no questions asked i haven't seen the picture yet and for those of you who don't know where morton bay is in australia it's near brisbane so it's on the east coast middle of the east coast and it looks pretty it doesn't look that crazy but it Definitely doesn't look like Maine lobsters that I'm used to seeing. Right. It's more of a gray color. Slipper lobsters are like, instead of claws, they almost look like they have like mittens, like a big flat. Yeah. It's kind of more flat. It looks like a big bug, like a big pill bug or something. (laughs) 
Um, not if we look at a regular lobster, which is also just a big bug, like an American lobster. I mean, you know, that looks appetizing to us because we've eaten it a bunch and we, we know what it tastes like and everything. And this does not necessarily look appetizing because it doesn't look like the lobster that we know, but I'm sure it tastes just as delicious. Well, you, when you read the description, it did say a, a strong flavor. What was that? What was that description? Yeah, it said, um, Firm texture and medium to strong flavor. Yeah. So firm what does texture. that mean? What does is, what is strong flavor mean? Like Firm texture, that that throws me off a little bit. I don't know how much I would want to. Well, think about like the claw meat in American Lobster is a little more firm than. Yeah, that is meat, true. You know? It might just be more like that. The texture yeah. wouldn't get me as much. The The flavor, how. how yeah, when they say they strong, like if, strong it has that, like, yeah. if it has that like low tide kind of flavor to it, then if that's what they mean by strong, then I don't know. Yeah, but you can probably just uh, lather it in butter or may- mayonnaise or whatever we do here to try to <laughs> mask some of that stuff, right? Drown it in mayonnaise and ranch dressing. <laughs> that's what I do with everything I eat. And ranch dressing. All right, dressing. before we move on, final take. Would you try it, Justin? That's me. Yes, I will. Maddie? I would t- I would definitely try it. Absolutely. You gotta I kind of want it. to. All actually, right, three checks. Good. Cue the soundtrack. Chick, chick, chick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the next one uh, on this list is number 55, Son. Sonsos, sons, sonsis, S O N S O S. Pronounce it however you want. That's how I say it. Sonsos, son, sonso. Two varieties of sand eel species, namely Mediterranean sand eel and the smooth sand eel, both of which inhabit the sandy coastal Catalan region between. <laughs> come on. Arenis de Mar and Lestartit. You want to go ahead and read this uh, description? It's kind of, I can't tell if that's, I guess it's Catalan. It's like kind of a mix ca- between Catal- Spanish Catalan, and ca- French. It's a sand it. eel. <laughs> <laughs> Can you show a picture to Justin? I saw it. You saw it? Okay. Uh, sand eel is a short-lived species that is characterized by a long, slender, and silvery body with whitish belly and flanks and the Mediterranean sand eel reaching length of 17 centimeters, while the smooth sand eel usually reaches up to 28 centimeters in length. It's a long, skinny... I find it, like, I feel like it would be hard to get enough meat off there that's worth... Yeah, they look really it's slender. It's really skinny. What do you think, Justin? Would you eat this? Yep. It didn't give any information about, like, what it tastes like or what people cook with it. A lot of these have, like, commonly used with whatever, cooked yeah. with whatever. Maddie, what, what, would you eat this? Sans, this sanso? is more out of my wheelhouse than the bug was, the mud bug. I think, for me, it depends on how it's prepared, right? Like, this looks like it could be something where you get it like pickled in a jar. Right. <laughs> and like, I probably wouldn't. Like pickled herring. I'd probably be a little more hesitant to try that. But if it's something where they're able to like fillet it or like mince it or something. Fry and, it you know, or put it with butter and mayonnaise. <laughs> Drown it in mayonnaise and ranch dressing. <laughs> and ranch dressing. <laughs> yeah. Seafood and ranch dressing is not a match that I normally do. But so this is more of I've an artisanal fishery and the artisanal fishing of sonsos using sonseras, which is a traditional boat sen, is strictly re- regulated and takes place in very a very select few ports of the Catalan region of Spain, which is in northeastern Spain, like near, that's where Barcelona is. So that's pretty interesting. It seems like it's a very specific area that you can find this species. It's a cool looking fish. <clears throat> I wonder how yeah. it made this list. I mean, unless there's a lot of people. People must love it yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. It could be one of those like, you know, if you go to this, if you travel to this area, it's like right. you have to try this, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a specialty in that specific area. Yeah, so whoever is traveling to Seafood Expo Global, which is in Barcelona next year, make sure you try Sonsos. 
Many yeah, approved. And, and again, I apologize for my pronunciation mishaps uh, and mm-hmm. stumbling over all those words. I'm just, that's a, that's a skill that I don't have. All right. Would you, did we consensus? How many checks? It sounds like. I think it's like two, two and a half. Yeah. Uh, for me, have a half a check. For me, I need to know how it's prepared. Did, Manny, did your research find anything about like how you eat it? No. I'm going to go with one check then because it sounds like you guys were too hesitant. Maybe two checks total because Sean and I are both We're like halfway. half a check each. Yeah. There's is that no, cheating? There's no, yeah, that is cheating. Okay, one check then. And I am, just for our listeners, I am the organization MVP over softball team, so what I say goes. <laughs> Especially when brag, it comes to games. I don't want to brag, but I will. He was also the assistant coach. He also won the yeah. fantasy football league like four years ago. <laughs> and he, People don't forget. he won't let you forget it. Never forget 2017. Uh, all right, the next species uh, on this list, it's number 35, Peje, Peje Lagarto. It's my closest pronunciation. That was pretty good. Thanks. Not bad, right? Uh, it's an unusual fish species inhabiting the freshwater lagoons, lakes, rivers, and marshes along the coasts of the Gulf of Mexico, particularly throughout Tabasco. Dubbed a living fossil, the endemic fish has existed as, for a staggering 100 million years now. What? Throughout which it has remained relatively unaffected by any evolutionary change. The carnivor- carnivorous fish has a long and Heavy body with fins positioned low and a distinctive large snout containing many sharp needle-like teeth reminiscent of an alligator's, which is how it got its name. Pehelagarto meaning alligator fish. Oh. Um, I feel like this is one that you see in aquariums. Yes. It looks like a pike. It does. It looks like a pike and also kind of like a swordfish, like a mini little swordfish. Call it a sight. I was thinking like a gar. like A, a oh, oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I didn't know that people ate this. I knew about this fish because I used to work at an aquarium and we had fish like this in like oh. the freshwater exhibit. But I didn't know that people ate this fish. And it may be mostly specific to Mexico that people. Yeah. And it yeah. looks like similar to the Sonsos. It's a really specific area of Mexico on the southeastern coast that it's caught. Yeah. I have a feeling a lot of the species on this list, or a lot of the dishes on this list are like, like that, like they're mm-hmm. very specific and, and, you know, most popular seafoods around the world, maybe because it's like so particular and you need to travel to this one specific destination to try it. And it's kind of like a once in a lifetime thing to get for a lot of people to, to eat them. I feel like, feel like that's kind of the road we're going down with a lot of these. Oh, okay. So it says that this fish is served best with a sauce called mojo de ajo which is a garlic sauce that's mm. popular in Mexico, Cuba, Chile, and many Caribbean and Latin American countries. Usually consists of olive oil, crushed garlic, salt, and lemon, orange, or lime juice. Mm. That sounds so good. That does sound good. And if I'm eating it with that sauce, then I am giving it a check. The peje lagarto. Did you say this was a freshwater or saltwater it's fish? It's a freshwater fish, yeah. You don't I, like freshwater fish? Not as much, no. No. So I'm not going to give it a check, but I will definitely eat that sauce. <laughs> I, I will check to the sauce. I will definitely try this and I'll get you a spoon. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> All right, moving along. Number 28. Maddie, do you want to do the next one? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so this next fish is a shellfish and it's called Persebes or Persebes. Not sure exactly how to pronounce it. This and is this... one I had never heard of. <laughs> this is from the area of Galicia in Spain and also Portugal. So Persebes, which are known as goose barnacles in English, are unusual looking crustaceans that are usually attached to the surface of rocks or floating items in the sea. They have a long rubbery stem, which is also known as a neck, 
which they use to attach to objects and a white triangular head. So they look pretty funny. They kind of look like geese. <laughs> the yeah, meat, I can see it. The meat, which is often described as briny and sweet, is placed inside the neck. And percebes are traditionally enjoyed in the Spanish Galicia and coastal areas in Portugal. They're usually only briefly cooked in salted water and come served on plates, but they can also be steamed, grilled, or eaten raw. It's recommended to enjoy them plain, preferably warm, because they're considered a delicacy and are quite dangerous to harvest. Persebes are usually usually come with a hefty price tag, though the price varies based on their availability. In Spain, their prices tip, typically fluctuate between 50 up to 100 euros per kilo, but sometimes it can even reach astronomical numbers of 200 euros. Wow. So yeah, that just kind of supports my theory about this list. <laughs> yeah. Very niche, super seemingly niche. expensive type of seafood. It looks really cool. It does look cool. It doesn't look particularly appetizing to me. It does kind of look like something from a Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, you know what? I think I would try it because I think because it's so uncommon and hard to get, I think if I was ever given the opportunity to try this, I would definitely take it up. Yeah, she might not get another chance. Yeah. Yeah, so. I'd try it. Did you see it, Justin? Did you see the picture? Since it says that it's briny and sweet, that definitely sounds good to me. But I think this has come up in previous episodes where we've talked about texture, different types of food. It's the texture. Yeah. I mean, well, it's so it says rubbery. Rubbery is not my kind of thing. It seems like you're not eating that part. It says the the meat, which is often described as briny and sweet, is placed inside the neck. So mm. it might be like you cut it open and you eat what's inside Oh, okay, it. yeah. But I don't okay. know. Someone tell us if you've had this, Persebes, please let us know. And if you want to, if you have some and you want to offer it to us, I will try it. <laughs> it's expensive. I'll who's, try it on buying? YouTube Live, <laughs> Facebook Live. Ugh. Oh, the next one is sea, sea cucumber. We're not going to talk about that one, but it no was check. gross. I didn't like it. Um. All right, so the next one is number 18. Nope, number eight. Sorry, on the wrong list. Uh, and these are ones you might you you'll probably have heard of these next few because I think they're a little bit more common, but or a little bit more well known, but not necessarily as common as you know most of the ones that we talk about. And this number eight is uni. Does anybody want to read the description for this one? I shall do it. So uni is a, it comes from the Hokkaido region of Japan and three other countries, but most specifically in this northern region of Japan. And uni is a Japanese name for sea urchin gonads, an organ which produces the animal's roe. It's the only edible part of the sea urchin commonly consumed in European, South American, and Asian countries. The texture of uni should be firm, creamy, and smooth, while its flavor is rich and briny. Uni is usually found at local markets or restaurants, and it can be easily incorporated into a variety of dishes. However, it should always be consumed fresh, preferably just out of the shell. In most countries, it is eaten raw, usually with a splash of lemon juice. Yum. So the most prominent uni varieties are cultivated in Japan, like we mentioned, but also in California, Maine, and Italy. And although they're similar, they are region-specific and different. differ in size, flavor, color, and texture, depending on where in the world it's from. I, I would definitely try this. I've heard good things. I've heard it's delicious. I'm sure there's people in the office who have had this. Yep. I, ha- mm-hmm. I haven't, but... I would try it. Yep. I'm sure Check. I'm sure Jamie and Steve have tried it. So I wouldn't be surprised. This one is this isn't one where it's like potentially toxic, is it? I think they wouldn't have mentioned that. I don't know. 
I feel like this is this is another one that's like difficult to prepare, but I could be wrong. Well, it seems like it's you mostly eat it raw. Yeah, and so you and you need that's like the only part that's edible, right? So I guess you need to be really careful and specific mm. about what you're eating, right? Yes. Well, it's a sp- spiny. I'm trying to look over. It's a sea corner. urchin. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so I mean, most people aren't going to just pop a sea urchin in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a really young kid might, but going through um, initiation for a fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is number seven on this list. Katsuobushi. How's that? Huh? That was really Not good. Not bad, huh? There's a lot. The, the end of this list is a lot of Japanese dishes. One of the essential ingredients in Japanese cuisine, katsuobushi or okaka, refers to dried, fermented, and wood-smoked skipjack tuna. Uh, it's typically available prepackaged in the form of delicate shavings, which are used for imparting not only an intense umami flavor to various dishes, but also the so-called kokumi, another taste sensation that can be described as heartiness and mouthfulness. Mm. You ever heard that before? It's a big old check from this guy. Me too. <laughs> the, that the, sounds good. The yeah. production of katsubushi is known to be complex and time-consuming, which contributes to its price tag. Also, the expensive skipjack tuna is sometimes substituted with its less pricey relative called the bonito fish, which is why katsuobushi is often dubbed bonito flakes. And even though real katsuobushi is a f- far more superior product, both names are used interchangeably. So this is mm. this seems like it's very very common. Yeah. Uh, in Japan, I maybe maybe I've had it. I don't know, but it doesn't look familiar to me. But I mean, yeah, definitely I would have anything cooked with this. Yes. I feel like this is less of a like dish and more of a ingredient. Yes, I think you're right. They mentioned the price tag with this. They say it was expensive. They said uh so it's made from skipjack tuna. So yeah. they said skipjack tuna is expensive, but it can be substituted yeah. with bonito fish, bonito fish, which is less expensive. So I wonder if there's any issues with misrepresentation. Oh, I'm sure there is. If yeah, if anybody wants to come and educate us a little bit about that, that would be fascinating. I bet yeah. there is a, a some issues with mislabeling and well, if there's a stuff like that. Big difference in price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could see why that could happen. Yeah, and I wonder if there's a big difference in taste. I mean, it says it's far superior product, but like, is that marketing or is that <laughs> yeah. Is it really that much better? And if it's that much better, why would they choose the bonito fish to replace it and not something that is a little bit more similar if it's that different? So. Sounds like we need an expert. Yes. We need an expert in Japanese cuisine to come clear up all of our questions here. All right, Maddie, check. No check for you. Oh, definitely check. Same. All right. Those are three strong checks. Yes. The next one I'm sure you all know about, uh, and it's number four in this list, beluga caviar. Maddie, do you want to read about the beluga caviar? Sure It's not from beluga whales. (laughs) And this is from Russia. So beluga caviar, which is the row of beluga sturgeon, is one of the most prized caviar varieties in the whole world. So since it can take up to 25 years for the animal to mature and start producing roe, this caviar is extremely rare, expensive, and extravagant. This is what people eat in the cartoons. Rich yes. Rich. Beluga caviar beads are large, plump, and firm with a color that can range from light to dark gray. With a delicate, tender, and almost buttery flavor, beluga caviar can be eaten plain, allowing the complex layers to develop individually. It is also commonly combined with boiled potatoes, bliny pancakes, or sour cream. And recently, wild beluga varieties have become critically endangered, potentially due to wild poaching in the Caspian Sea. 
and strong sanctions have been introduced to limit the production, sales, and trade of this rare ingredient, which definitely makes sense if it's so highly sought after. 25 years. That's for the fish wild. Dish. And that's a huge fish. Yes. That's a really, really big, big fish. I know there's sturgeon farms out there that are mm-hmm. raising mm-hmm. them, f- and they, they also sell the meat, but I think obviously the primary product is this caviar. I don't think I've ever had this. I don't know if I ever will have this just because <laughs> I broke. But <laughs> always broke. But the question is, would you try it? Absolutely. Again, it's another one. Like, I don't know if I'd like it or not, but if ever I would presented with the opportunity. Try it. Yeah. If anyone said, here, try this, I would be like, okay, well, this is my only chance that I'll ever get to try it. So yeah, might as well. Delicate, tender, and almost buttery flavor. That sounds really, really, really good. And combining sounds it with like boiled biscuit. potatoes. Yum. Yeah, it's just check for me. Yeah, check for me too. All right, we're breezing so right So play along this. with us, audience. Is it a check for you? Again, this list is um, linked in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out. Because, I mean, there's literally a hundred different things on here. But we're not going to go through all that, obviously. All right. Uh, the next one is number three on this list. Un- unagi. Another one from Japan. Unagi is the Japanese word referring to the freshwater eel commonly used in Japanese cuisine. It's mainly consumed in the form of fillets, which are always grilled due to the presence of harmful toxins. The fillets are then spread with a sweet and salty sauce made with soy sauce, mirin, and sugar. Did I say that right? All right. We'll go with it. Our silence means we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although unagi is consumed in the entire country, there are slight regional differences in the way the eel is cut and prepared. In Kanto region, the cuts are made from the back, and the fillets are grilled and steamed, while in Kansai, the eel is cut from the stomach, and the fillets are merely grilled. I'm not, I guess I have had eel, yeah. Is this what you, wait, if, we get, if you get eel on sushi around here, do you think this is what it is? Mm-hmm. Freshwater eel? Probably. When right? I was in Narita, we had a long layover at the airport, and we had a tour. We left the airport, and we did a tour, and we walked down such a nice area. We walked down the street, and there was a lot of shop windows. You know, there was no glass, so you could look right in, and they were preparing eel it was just there was multiple stores that were doing this i have no idea if it was this Mm. species or something else so this says it's regarded as a delicacy and an expensive luxurious ingredient that's mainly consumed in japan so probably not where the eel has been proclaimed as an endangered species so this is the second one that mentions that it's an endangered species yeah so i you know that's the other thing like that that introduces something else like would i be willing to try it from a strict like food perspective like yes but if something is an endangered species, I don't know if I would. You're less likely. I'd be less likely to try it for that reason. So that's give and take. I mean, I feel like I this know. article maybe misled us. I mean, you've already talked about this. I think they should have renamed their title. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, this is just something, this is just a, an opportunity to learn about new yes. other seafood dishes that exist that we don't know too much about. Mm-hmm. And again, so it, it may be showing our ignorance and people may be saying like, these are super common. We eat this all the time. Or like, I can't believe you don't know about this and you work in the seafood industry. But, you know, we're from New England. <laughs> we, it's pretty much chowder and lobster. Chowder and lobster is what we and know. oysters. Yeah, that's what we know. So um, so a lot of this is, is you know, learning for us. And we're, you know, it, w- I would love to have more guidance and help and anyone that has more information about these these dishes and these species and kind of, you know, the, the, the politics surrounding them in some cases. It would be, it'd be interesting to learn more. So we got two more. Is that a what are what are the check status on this one? Um, I I don't think I'm gonna give this one a check. 
Like if it's endangered, there's no check. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. And I don't remember what my status was with the other one that was endangered. I don't remember which one it was. It was the caviar. Oh, was the it? Beluga caviar? I missed that oh. part. When well, you're but they're yes, farmed. But I, I would have farmed caviar. <laughs> beluga sturgeon has become, or wild beluga varieties have become critically endangered. Right. Wild. So we'll focus on farm. Yeah, the non-endangered. the wild. Okay, the next one is my favorite one on the list because it is the cutest looking fish. It's adorable. So it's a white fish and it's called. (laughs) Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) And it is called fugu, which is from Japan. And it's a type of puffer fish. You sure it's not called fudja? (laughs) Maybe actually. (laughs) Froyo. In my American accent, it's fugu. It's F-U-G-U. Fugu, Fugu. maybe? No, I think it's fugu. So fugu is the Japanese word for a fish known as pufferfish, blowfish, or globefish. The fish is infamous for its poisonous parts that contain the lethal poison tetrodotoxin, highly concentrated in the liver, ovaries, eyes, and skin of the chef. Trained chefs who want to prepare fugu must undergo scrutinized testing and licensing that is done at local government level. However, some people prefer the light numbing sensation that the fugu toxin produces, so they ask the chefs to serve them small parts of the toxic organs. In Japan, fugu is usually consumed in specialized restaurants that serve a complete meal, with tip- which typically includes several courses of the fish served in varying ways, such as fugu sashimi, boiled fugu chiri, fugu rice porridge, or deep-fried fugu. Although this intriguing fish is almost synonymous with Japan, it's occasionally found in American and Southern- South Korean cuisine. It's adorable, and the fact that it's deadly makes it more adorable. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I think it actually, that one, the main picture that we're looking at is probably a baby, because if you scroll to the next picture, it looks so much bigger, and I don't think I would it's call that It's not as cute, cute so I, I'll eat it. <laughs> so maybe it's I take cute, it back. It's so it's got a little smile. It's spiky, kind of. It's a puffer fish. I mean, close your eyes. And picture a puffer fish in your mind. And uh, you just That's what it looks like. Yeah, that (laughs) is what it looks like. I would try it. I would be scared. I'd be nervous. I think it's so interesting that some people prefer the light numbing sensation from the toxins. So they ask them for it. Well, you know what? I'm going to take back my check. Only because I'm so allergic to half of this world that (laughs) That I don't want to take my chances. You you, like can't eat bananas. (laughs) That's just like one of 50 things. Pineapples. No, I can have pineapple. Apple. Cucumbers. Yeah, no cucumbers. Carrots. I'm going to take those out of my lunch dish today. Oh. Carrots. Yeah. They were delicious. I hate them. And I'm not allergic to any shellfish or any seafood dishes that I come in contact. But this one, I'm just going to play it safe. I'll let you two, if either one of you had a check, then you can try it and you can tell me what you thought. Yeah, I would try it, but I would be, I'd be nervous. I got numb tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would try it. I'm I'm on the fence, so probably no check. But maybe. All right. So where are you leaving us? No check. <laughs> All right. So the last one uh, is actually fairly common, and I'm pretty sure I've had it. Ikora, also known as salmon roe. It's another um, caviar. Round, almost transparent salmon eggs, uh, an unusual ingredient which is especially popular in Japan. After they've been removed from the sack, creating individual plump orbs, the eggs undergo the curing process, which usually includes salt or brine. 
During the Taisho period in Japan, which started in 1912, the Russians introduced the tradition of curing salmon roe to the Japanese. However, the Japanese adjusted the recipe to their tastes and started using fragrant soy sauces, sake, and rice wine for curing, giving the roe a deeper and distinctively Japanese flavor. This is not necessarily like uncommon, but it was number one on this list. So again, we don't know if this is like ranking, but... If it is, this list considers this the number one most popular <laughs> seafood, which I don't, we don't know. Popular is subjective. Yes, it's very su- subjective, but delicious. I don't know if you've ever had it. I have not had it. I don't know if I I mean, I, I think I've had it. It could be another thing where it's like you could only get it in Japan, but pretty sure I've had salmon eggs before. Well, you know who is going to listen to this episode is Dr. Steve Hart. And yep. he. Yes, shout will... out to Steve Hart. He's Hopefully send us an email this. confirming he's tried some of these. Yeah, <laughs> or at least calling you out on your pronunciation. Dr. Dr. Steve Hart, call me out on all my pronunciations and tell us which ones of these you've tried and uh, how delicious they are. And everyone else, too. Yeah, if anyone's tried any of these, let us know. If anyone knows uh, a place here in the northeastern United States where we can try some of these, please let us know. We'll give them a shot. And... Yeah, if there's any experts or want, someone wants to do a species spotlight on any of these because they deem themselves experts or know an expert, we want them on the show. Yeah, for sure. I, I wasn't writing down the final tally, but I think we would. most of us would try most of these. Yeah. Dishes. Yeah, there were only a handful that didn't have three checks. If you could pick one from that list, which one stands out to you? Ooh. Oh, it'd be the shaved, uh, what was it? The one that Katsu Bushi? Yep, for me. Definitely. The one that stands out to me is the Percebes, Percebus. Yeah. I don't, again, I think it just stands out to me because it looks like a space alien creature from a movie. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily look appetizing, but I'd be very interested. Uh, so again, if anybody, you know, this was just a, a silly kind of fun episode. You know, we're getting towards the end of the year. We wanted to just kind of sit down, relax, and have a, have a little fun conversation, play, play this little fun game. So I hope you enjoyed this, uh, and I hope that you get a chance to try some of these dishes. And again, go to the link in the show notes. It's at tasteatlist.com, and you can look through this whole list. If nothing else, it's a list of 100 different types of seafood, and I'm sure there's some in there that you have never tried or you've never heard of, and you can get a little information about them. So uh, just fun little informational episode. So thanks for listening. Folks, that was our conversation about 10 seafood species that you may or may not know too much about. I hope you enjoyed it. I know we had a good time going through this list and just trying to decide whether or not we would try these. I think I would probably, I think at this point I would probably try them all just to, <laughs> just to do it. Just to do it. Say that I did. Or maybe not do it and say that I did. Um, anyway, if you're not subscribed to Aquademia, please make sure you do that wherever you listen so you can get every new episode automatically downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, you can do so with our very easy to follow and navigate online form, which is located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you liked this episode or if you just like the show in general, be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you use. Lastly, if you like what we do and you want to be more involved, you'd like to take part in some of the responsible seafood work that we do here at GSA, you might want to consider becoming a member. Maddie can give you all the information that you need, but if you want to read into that, you can check out the link in our show notes all about GSA membership. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.